0: Welcome to Intimacy Choreography in Conversation, where Anne and Carly talk candidly about the growing world of intimacy choreography and shifting performance art spaces towards a culture of consent.
1: Hi,
2: Anne. Hello. Hello, Carly. Here we are again. Intimacy Choreography in Conversation. and. Today, we have a very special guest, two guests, in fact. I'm so Um, excited. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, We are so happy to present to our uh, listeners, Lizzie Talbot. First of all, Lizzie, uh, you may know, uh, she has had a lot of press and attention lately, due to her wonderful choreography, intimacy choreography for the television series from Shondaland Bridgerton, um, which is so wonderful. Hi, Lizzie.
3: Hi, Ann and Carly. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And do Our you pleasure. have a
2: friend with
3: you today? I do. I have my fabulous colleague, Josh. Hi, Josh.
1: Hello. Hi, Carly. Hi, Anne.
2: Well, it's such a great thing to have you both here um, talking with us um, today. Um, I'm wondering if you would, Lizzie, first off, would be willing to kind of tell our tell our listeners uh, who you are uh where you're situated in your life journey, uh kind of a little bit of underpinnings of of why you are an intimacy coordinator, just a general inf- uh introduction um so that it comes from you organically. And then Joshua,
3: please do the same. Okay. Good deal. So hi, my name's Lizzie Tolbert I'm an intimacy coordinator. Uh, I started researching this in about twenty fifteen. Um I'm now the uh, Director of Intimacy for Stage and Screen, which is a a training um, and educational organization. I'm going to talk about how I got into this. Uh, It was essentially sort of through stage combat and looking at the differences and protocols uh, between what was put in place for violence and the fact that there was a real lack of of, um, anything to do with this uh, surrounding intimacy. And so I think for me, it was just sort of looking at you know, the the, the, disbar- uh, the discrepancies uh, between the two. Um, mm-hmm. I'm currently situated in, well, I work between the UK and the US, which um, so has been a, a bit of a journey over the last year. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, and then
0: Joshua, we would love to hear a bit about uh, your background in this work.
1: Hello. My name is Joshua Parler. I am based in the UK. I actually trained as an actor. So I'm an actor as well, I trained in America, in New York City. And then through my my journey, I came in contact with wonderful Lizzie Talbot and she introduced me to the wonderful thing that is intimacy coordination. And with that, I can immediately see that there should be a group of people that are here to advocate for the actors, maintaining consent and boundaries. And being an actor and being on the opposite side of the camera, I could see, like, yes, this is something that we need to have. And I would love to be an advocate for that. So thank goodness Lizzie came into my life. But she was able to show me how I can be an advocate for many other actors.
2: Wow, that's beautiful. Lizzie, um, can you tell us a little bit about your, your company? Um, tell us a little bit about how you, how you bring people into your training process.
3: Sure. So um, we've had a bit of a, obviously a bit of a rough year with COVID Mm. um, and not a whole ton has been happening. Um, We've done what we can online, but I'm a bit hesitant to do, like, I I just don't think you could do this training fully online. Um, I want to be in the room with people. Mm -hmm. I can't send people into a room with actor if I haven't, if I haven't certified them, basically, or or seen them in, in action in the room. So uh it has been a little bit on hold but we are hoping to start up very soon. Um yeah so the process is that we have like uh, a list of sort of prerequisite courses um that people have to take before they can even like apply to to do our, our program. Um and one of the ways or well, one of the reasons for that is that um if you look at the like the list of courses so many of them are just <laughs> really useful for the industry in general. So um I was a bit reluctant to sort of say okay well, you have to do them, you know, like as you train, I felt that, you know, like, hey, if some people applied and maybe didn't get in that, like, they've still got a bunch of really useful skills and um, like experiences that they can add to the industry in whatever form that they work in it at the moment. Um, so we have like this list of prerequisites um, and then we do sort of like interviews, applications, um, and then sort of we, we go from there. Uh, but we run sort of like uh, intimacy direction and intimacy coordination training currently at the moment. Um, yeah. And uh, like I said, hoping to get applications open uh, fairly soon, but we'll we'll see how we go. What is like a,
0: on your list of prerequisites or like what kind of skills or other training do you think is useful for folks working in intimacy to have?
3: Yeah. So we obviously have like, um, you know, mental health first aid. That's one of the big ones. Um we have like um various lists of um basically sort of like you know general health and safety training, which is I think is really, really useful. Um so that's sort of like part of it. We also have um like essentially like uh, un- unconscious bias training, quality and diversity, LBGTQIA plus awareness, um conflict conflict resolution, which is really helpful. Um you know, if you need to like have a like a tough conversation with a director or with a producer about boundaries, like that's really helpful to just have in your mm-hmm. skill set straight away. Um, bystander intervention, I found really, really helpful. Um, and also, we do a lot of um, we are working quite closely at the moment with um, like safeguarding children in the entertainment industry with a company called PAC in the UK. Uh, and they provide chaperones. And it's really helpful just to have like an idea of like, okay, so what's a chaperone? What's an intimacy coordinator? How are they different? How can they complement each other? Um, how can they help each other out? Um so that's been really useful because you know, we do have minors on set. Sometimes minors are supposed to be witnessing you know, intimate scenes. Um, and so like, how can we manage that? And we also have um like the emergency first aid certificate, the physical one. Um and another one that we have on there is the Creative Industries Safety Passport, which is like um another sort of more extensive health and safety sort of qualification, uh, which particularly looks at risk assessments, which is something that we do in the UK as opposed to the US.
2: So that's oh, just like yeah, some you.
3: of them. <laughs> that's
2: so great. You know, I was just called on set um, here in LA um, not to choreograph uh, an intimate scene, but actually because there were going to be children in uh, swimming attire. Um, I think mm-hmm. you call them swimming costumes. Uh, yes, <laughs> that um, that you know, and they wanted someone there, kind of with my skill set, to just have this um, air of emotional intelligence around the children in their swimming costumes. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak to the different ways an intimacy coordinator can be utilized outside of a content that is intrinsically sexual or sensual in nature.
3: I mean, so for us, it's, it works probably a little bit differently in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. Something that's starting to happen on set are sort of like very um, specific roles that are coming out. So people who just do those type of roles. So we have like the chaperone, um, and in the UK, that's heavily regulated. so children are allowed a certain amount of time on set. Um, they can they, you know like to the minute, um, they have to have a certain amount of like tutoring hours. And so it's something that's really important that I understand is like absolutely like that's not my area uh, because I don't uh, I don't have that training, I don't really have the capacity to manage um, anything to do with the chaperones. There's also another group at the moment called Six foot from the Spotlight, and they are like mental health advocates on set. So for me, like, I'm not on set all day, every day when I'm doing intimate work. They're just, you know, like, it's very rare that a show would ever do that. You know, we, we have a specialty. So when that's not something that we're um, employed to do. So what's really great is they're starting to have these like mental health first aid advocates who are there for, throughout the entirety of the show, which is really great because they, you know, they can build relationships with the cast. They are there, you know, like every day, all day. Um, and can like really really help with um you know like making sure that you know the casting crew's mental health is is taken care of um so that's like one um like role that's sort of like very up and coming at the moment in the industry, which is i think a fantastic thing to do um for me, I'm really sort of a bit strange in this because I, I very much like feel like intimacy is like seated in choreography, mm-hmm. um like we have a, a choreographer's role, and so. For me, I'm very conscious that this is a new role to the industry and I'm mindful of the people who have been existing in the industry already um, and like very conscious about not stepping on toes. So, for example, even though I have like um, some fight training and some stunt experience, like uh, I'm really mindful that I'm never asked uh, and I will absolutely reject uh, any calls from production to like step in for stunts if they haven't gotten that day or you know just like oh can you do this it's like no I can't I'm not insured for that so it's it's really I'm really mindful about what I'm insured for um and like really what I'm insured to do is to advocate to liaise choreograph and for me because we are seeing so many roles that um help out you know cast and crew in various situations including mental health um and like uh historical advisors you know things like that that like is just you know, I'm not an expert in that. So I'm very conscious that like, I've got to sit in my expertise, which is choreography, because there are roles popping up for for lots of other things that, you know, I'm aware of, but I'm not an expert in.
0: I think that's so great to be like, I know my professional strengths and my professional boundaries. And like, when you have that, you can be really clear about expectations. And I think that really does go a long way. And not stepping on people's toes and, um, you know, acknowledging, okay, this role has, this other roles have existed for, for a long time in in this industry. And, uh, I just, I love that what you said about the program in the UK about the mental health advocate is just on set all the time. Like we, we really need that. Oh my God. <laughs> we
2: so need that.
0: Um, uh, cause yeah. you know, I often say like to a cast and I, I work primarily in theater and education But, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not, you know, it's an intimacy choreographer. I'm not the sex police. And I'm also not the cast therapist. Like, I believe that theater, you know, and acting is, uh, but especially theater, like a healing modality. And it can be therapeutic. But what we're doing here today is not, you know, therapy. So I like to teach actors when I have space. And, you know, in theater, oftentimes we have a little bit more Mm -hmm. moments to breathe to, like, take care of their own mental health and to have a few skills for advocating and grounding but like to have a person who that is their job especially on set is really incredible and yeah we need that we need that over here yeah I it's just
3: it's amazing i think that they've done such a great job of um like having an awareness that there's a real need for that and also realizing that that's that's not something that we can offer primarily because with our role you know we we jump from production to production to production, you know, like I can be working on, you know, many different shows at one point. So the likelihood that I'm going to be able to, to even like, just in terms of like practicalities, the likelihood that I'm going to be able to even get there, um, you know, for, for most days on the set is, is unlikely. So the fact that they've got someone dedicated is really great. And, you know, we are freelance. We, like I said, we work across multiple productions. So um, it also frees us up to be able to do that. Um whilst giving passing through like a consistency of support,
2: I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about uh, what it feels like to actually be working and uh going across the Atlantic back and forth working here in the states and then also working in London and other places um This idea uh that pervades Hollywood at least is that there's the scarcity of jobs. And I'm wondering if you have felt that same thing out in the world as you are. Um, Have you felt that there are not enough jobs to to keep uh, intimacy coordinators in work?
3: So I think that there's a couple of factors that are at play here. I mean, one is that it's a new profession. So it's going to be um, like growing uh, as sort of like the, the months go past. Second is that like we've obviously just had COVID, so lots of um, productions that may have heavily featured intimacy uh, perhaps held off and are now more maybe more comfortable starting again. So with um, you know uh, the infection rates dropping a little bit, more people being vaccinated, us having a little bit more of an understanding about how you know COVID works and how to um, like work around it uh, safely. So, um, but I think that there's that factor at play. Um, so I think that there are certainly in the last couple of months, we've definitely seen like an increase, um, of, uh, like requirements, for for intimacy coordinators, um, I don't know if it's scarcity, but it's also, I think in terms of like lifestyle, um, like, like it's quite an open question, you know, like what what keeps an intimacy coordinator in work well for some people they might feel like they've had a really busy month if they've had like three days on set some people might feel like they've had a busy month if they've had you know like 20 or 25 days on set Do you know what I mean so it's also quite quite hard um people charge all sorts of different rates um it's a little bit more standardized I think in the US um but Mm -hmm. that will affect you know how people feel if they can they can make a living from this if that makes sense mm. so it's quite hard because there's just so many different factors at play here um but in terms of scarcity I think you know just speaking from my own experience um I don't think I would necessarily say so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, that's, that's well, what I've got
0: <laughs> Lizzie and Joshua both just to kind of uh piggybacking on that question how at least in the US, there is a lot of kind of scarcity and gatekeeping around, of course, the entertainment industry in general, but especially about this new role in intimacy. And I was just curious if that is something that is also pervasive in the UK, where it's like, um, you know, it's very like the elite selection of who gets to do this job and uh, who and all of that. And of course, there's the balance of, you know, folks need to be trained and have the skill set to do this work. But but we've definitely seen here in, in the US that there are some detrimental effects to really gatekeeping who gets to do that. So yeah, I was just curious, what does that look like in the UK right now? Is that different or similar?
1: Yeah. So from my own personal experience in the UK, I've actually found the intimacy community to be extremely welcoming. They really supported me, which is something that I really appreciated when I started my journey into intimacy coordination. And I think it's, It's important to not gatekeep, whilst I understand that, unfortunately, that does happen because this is such an important role in the industry. And one, there's truly a need to maintain caste consent and boundaries. And two, the only way that we're going to be able to promote diversity in the industry is supporting the upcoming advocates who support the same vision. So it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot to not allow anybody else in the industry which is why I'm so grateful to the people in the UK because I've been able to speak to so many intimacy coordinators, not just in the UK, also in the US as well. And that all supports our our learning together and how we can support other people.
2: I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about um, being a black man in this very female, very white industry. Um, I know you've got one of the best, Working with you, Lizzie Talbot, obviously um, a a absolute champion in this new field. Um, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, feeling included and what it means to step out as, from what I know, one of the very very few men, and then on top of that, the very very few black men. I, I have to say, you're the first uh, black man that I know who is an intimacy coordinator. So maybe uh, talk about your journey in that regard, um, in, in your identity.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other people in my position can relate that it's, this isn't the first time I've entered a space where I'm maybe the only person who looks like me that is there. But the good thing about this, of course, I had Lizzie that was yeah. absolutely wonderful in opening that up for me as well, to come into that feeling safe and catered for. And yeah, there isn't necessarily, in my personal experience, I haven't met any other black male intimacy coordinator, but the fact that the door has been opened and I've been able to step through it, for me, that's okay, look, anybody else who wants to be an intimacy coordinator that is like me and I represent them, then hopefully they can see that me doing it will inspire them to let them know that, oh, okay, there is a place for me here as well, and I can do it. And that's why I'm so open to not being a gatekeeper and allowing other people to also follow their dreams if they want to be an intimacy coordinator. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to support and not be gatekeepers and open it up for everybody else.
2: That's beautiful. Super remarkable. Thank you for sharing that.
3: Um- I have another question for
0: both of you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would just love to hear like, what advice would you give to folks who are starting out in this work? Or people who are like, "Oh, I really like resonate with this role. I'm interested in pursuing it. Uh, What advice would you give to them at, at the start of their journey? Or even just early in their careers if they've already
3: started? Josh, you wanna go?
1: Yeah. Um, So I would say, (laughs) I would say listening, active listening and being open is something that's very, very important because of there's, of course, the intimacy side. And then there's also the side where you do all of the, the other courses in terms of mental health awareness. And it really helps the more that you can understand and relate to someone that will really help you in terms of being there for people and being able to advocate for them. So I would definitely say absorb as much as you can in terms of being empathetic and understanding towards people. And then just like with anything, of course, work hard because of the harder you work, that will be rewarded. Hard work is always rewarded.
3: That's lovely. And Lizzie? Yeah, so I think Josh Josh, uh, said so many brilliant things there. Um, So uh, so I'm not like repeating anything. I think for me, because it's about physical storytelling, that's essentially what we're doing here. You know, it's often it's a, it might be a duologue between, it's a physical duologue between two two characters. We're, We're telling a story here. So for me, it's like, Having an awareness of, of bodies and, and how they work, um, and all types of bodies, um, I think is really helpful. But also for me, it's it's more about like how do we physically tell a story, because that's what's going on here. So whilst like Pilates and, and yoga is really good, it's really helpful. Um, they don't teach you how to physically tell a story. So for me, things like getting into um, like movement training, um, different types of movement training, um, whether and, and different types of movement t- training that, that tell a story. So potentially, you know, like a lot of stage combat, that's physical movement that tells a story. Um, like, that, that, I think that, that kind of thing is really, really helpful because it is so much seated in the choreography. You know, we can be the best advocates that we can possibly be, but at the end of the day, if we can't re-choreograph quickly, we don't really change the situation um like to be effective. Like it's really difficult to complete the day if yeah. you can't re-choreograph quickly. You know, so like that for me is one of the key aspects. Like we're all learning, we're all advocates in the industry about, you know, like, you know, if no one comes into this work going, oh, how can I make this worse? <laughs> you know? <laughs> everyone's, <laughs> everyone's coming into the industry going, Oh, how can I make this better? And we've all got very different perspectives on, you know, what does better look like. Um, that is quite, you know, like an, an open, an open thing here. Um, but in terms of, you know, like we, we all want to be good advocates, you know, we don't get people in this industry who who don't care about that. So, you know, like advocacy is something that, that everyone hopefully is is learning and, and growing more in all, you know, all the time. For me, it's like, do you have the skills that you can actually affect change for an actor in the moment? and wow. so much of that is based in the choreography for what we do because it could be just a very simple choreographic switch chore- choreographic change between something that the actor is not happy with and or that the actor is extremely comfortable with and it's up to you know us as um you know like navigators and um you know uh, people who are workers as collaborators to, to find out what that is, and it's got to be seated in really effective movement work.
2: And finding solutions, like you said, you know, and being on set and being in that, you know, time-sensitive, very intense environment uh, really makes uh, an intimacy coordinator an intimacy coordinator. It's almost like when you put fresh pottery into a kiln, you know, that creates the profession. That creates the professional attitude. and unless we have experience in those um, in those environments where we're put to the task of creating variations on what a director might need within the consent and boundaries of the actor and coming up with six or seven different ideas that you have in a kind of backlog, that really comes from uh, your experience, you know your your health and safety experience, your your uh, artistry, your ability to choreograph, all those things kind of come into play when you're on set in that moment when one thing you suggested doesn't work. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I just applaud you for for sharing that with us and the and the fact that it is about um being able to switch on a dime in order to get the day done.
0: Yeah. Like the skill to, to be able to pivot and like maintain your, your cool and calm and being the space holder And I just, I love the dual answer that we got from uh, Joshua and Lizzie. Cause I feel like the, this position real in this work really encompasses, it's like both of those things. It's mm-hmm. being an advocate, being an active empathetic listener, having compassion and, you know, strengthening those skill sets. And then it also has to be about, as Lizzie said uh, so beautifully, like the storytelling of the movement. Like it's a really uh, yeah. about marrying those, those two. And so, yeah, thank you.
2: Yeah, and in like 15 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm wondering if, uh, I mean, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent, tangent time. Uh, Tangent time. That's right. <laughs> so, can hold we, me back. Can we, <laughs> can we get into the nuts and bolts of Regency where kind of the Regency um identity and sexual practice? Can we talk a little bit about the history of what you had to go through in Bridgerton in order to make those scenes come to life when it comes to the costuming? And and the choreography.
3: Yes, I think the biggest thing here is really like just do your research. <laughs> that's, right. that's like right. my biggest piece of advice yeah. ever. Um, you know, because there's there's so much at stake here. It's so different from doing something modern. Um, you're dealing with you know, like five layers essentially of undergarments. Underneath that dress, you've got like at least five things to navigate. Um and, you know, that, that's being, that's, you know, if you're being purely historical, but also, you know, if you're, you know, and, and also working with like the aesthetic, like what are they throwing away? What are they bringing in? Are you being like a hundred percent like historically accurate? Well, you know, <laughs> that's really hard. No one was there back then. It's really difficult to, you know, we, we can glean as much as we can and we've got fantastic histor- historians to sort of help us with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a television show there's going to be like liberties taken there's going to be you know um artistic visions that we want to support so i think for me doing like my research project was one of the key things before i went in understanding like terminology understanding costume understanding etiquette understanding like the you know social economic climate um understanding who was at war with who because Lots of people were at war, Mm. (laughs) which ironically, it's so bizarre, but who was at war with who actually influenced fashion choices? Um, Yeah, yeah. I I go into a little bit more detail in, you know, um, a a workshop I do about Regency Intimacy, but essentially, yes, um, (laughs) what was going on in terms of like, you know, um, the political world, and who was at war with who actually really did influence fashion choices because you know people in the Regency period they're, they're trying to sort of get away from like the the sort of more Georgian ideals of you know you I think you can see sort of in um, some sort of like you know, p- pictures you've got um, women wearing incredibly wide um, dresses you've got um, you know uh, hair which is you know incredibly elaborate with um, in terms of like Heights, lots of wigs happening. Um, and then you sort of like crash straight into sort of uh, Greek and Roman throwbacks where you've got the empire waistline where we start to see bonnets. So like we're, we're covering ourselves a little bit more. Um, you know, and it's just, I'm like doing a dreadful job of like explaining this. <laughs> no, you're, um, you're doing but, you're great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are so many things that are changing, particularly, you know, between um <laughs> Like, the, yeah, essentially, sort of like, you know, getting into sort of 18, 1812, 1813. And it's interesting because you see so many um shows in those exact years, those exact, like, you know, three to four years, 1809, 1812, 1813. You see so many TV shows hone in on those years because there's so much change afoot, which is really interesting. Oh.
2: And then Joshua, how did you, how did you serve as a support in this environment? Um, What were you doing in this situation? Or can you share that um, kind of your day to day on the show?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, this wasn't my first rodeo, as they say. (laughs) I I wasn't in Bridgerton season one with working with Lizzie. Mm -hmm. I actually came on another Netflix production. And in my experience in that, there's a lot of prep work that you do. of course. Like Lizzie was saying, research is honestly the best thing you can do. Knowledge is power. And the more research you do, the deeper insight to the world created and how that will, I guess, it will inform how you approach creative choices is something that's really important. So, of course, do all the research that you need to do. And then in terms of intimacy, there's an intimacy workflow and the process of how we, I guess, we manage it. And in terms of my, my role as a support, was very much kind of like finding all the intimacy, seeing, okay, what do I need to do here? What do I need to do there? How will I manage this when speaking to the actors? How can I make sure that consent and boundaries are always at play? And how, this, how the text would translate into a physical choreographic movement on screen and how to manage that. And feed those ideas to the wonderful Lizzie.
2: <laughs> wonderful,
0: brilliant. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yes. Teamwork
1: makes the dream work.
0: <laughs> I I love that because I think, uh, and again, like I come from such a theater background, which is very collaboration focused. But you know, I think that that film storytelling, like and and this role, even in intimacy, like we can really enrich what we have to author when we work in partnerships you know like not all of our brains work the same we each will think of different weird brilliant creative solutions to, to what's happening so that's so wonderful to hear about about how this worked for y'all
1: yeah
3: it's been it's been really cool because i mean like you know josh came in kind of like you know so, saw what i was doing but you know he's he's working in his own right um which is a you know, just really, really cool and fun to watch as well. I mean, like, I'd be pretty confident with Josh delivering a baby, um, having seen, like, the work that he's been doing on a couple <laughs> of other shows. Wow, that's
2: like, that escalated. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Hey, oh, Josh, so, you got your props now.
3: <laughs> so, you know, yes. like, re- you, as you, you know, research makes so much difference. It means that, you know, like, when a director turns around to you and says, Hey uh what about this you're not going um i don't know i didn't read the book <laughs> <Do> you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> like, right. like you're, yeah you've got you've got something to offer them but you know just making sure that your your research is is really grounded so that you're confident enough to offer that up um i think that that's that's just been key in in every single show i've worked on not even regency but also um you know like yeah all all the modern stuff all the medieval stuff all the victorian stuff like yeah tons of tons of
2: intimacy coordinating through time i love it (laughs)
1: yes
0: (laughs) i would watch that show (laughs) (laughs) i i love that i i think yeah research and prep work that's so big because it's like when you are in the moment as you were mentioning before and you just like have to you know solve the problem or make that small physical adjustment that is the difference between an actor feeling really uncomfortable and feeling empowered in the scene. It's like, if you have that arsenal of like all the things you've thought through and researched in your brain, then you have like those options to offer in the moment.
1: Exactly.
2: That's great. I mean, there's not going to be too long before. I mean, it sounds like, you know, there's dramaturgy work here, you know, with the research. Then there's the practical application of the choreography and working with the director on set. And then there's also kind of the pastoral care that you do um, with mm. actors. Um, maybe both of you could tell us a little bit about how you enter the um, the idea of the choreography that's required with conversations with actors, not any specific actors, but like, how do you uh, have that initial conversation with actors about the intimacy?
3: So for me, it's about getting to, to know them a little bit. Uh, I think that that's really helpful um, as soon as they start to sort of like know who you are and they can, you know, they can trust you. They can like let you know what their boundaries are because yeah. um, that's really key to creating any choreography. Um, I think sometimes, you know, naturally we might create choreography in our heads that would, you know, fit our body type or what we look like because, you know, like our body is what we've worked with for the last however many years. And so that's what we are used to creating with. So I think the key here for this is making sure that it's a collaboration um, and you've got to be able to just throw ideas out the window if they don't work. Like You cannot be precious about this. You can't enforce a process on an actor because it might not be their process as long as it's safe. Um, I think it's absolutely valid. Meeting them where they are is one of the key things that I really take with me when I'm um, Like having actor conversations for the first time. Mm. Like everyone's approaching this from such a different perspective. We've got, you know, brand new actors who have never done any intimate scenes before and they're going to have a different perspective on this um, versus actors who've been around a really long time. They've done it for years without us. You know, some of their, Mm -hmm. you know, safety mechanisms is that, hey, we just don't talk about it, we just do it, you know? And like that's the way that they've, They've kept themselves safe over the last couple of years. That's how they've managed it. And, you know, like, how do we meet them where they are and provide them with what they need to keep them safe and so that they have an enjoyable process? So for me, it's like, hey, I'm going to meet that actor exactly where they are.
2: Beautiful. Beautiful. I like, Lindsay, please be
3: our intimacy coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. We wouldn't get any work done. we talk too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> probably true uh Josh what do you think how do you approach actors
1: yeah so because I'm also an actor I kind of have that actor like I always think oh like what it, I had that understanding of what it feels like as an actor being approached so now that I have like the both sides of the spectrum like okay I understand what's set like for the actor and now I'm coming in as the intimacy coordinator Um, Very much like what Lizzie was saying, it's just like establishing that safe environment so there's a level of trust between yourself and the actors they know that they can be open because it's a collaboration. You can't tell them how they should do anything. You have to speak to them and come to that conclusion together because it is a process between you. And yeah, making them comfortable so you can get the best out of each other, making sure that you're able to speak to each other and then just going through what either is in the script or what, I guess, the expectation is so that you both have an understanding of what is going to happen and no one's left like, oh, I didn't realise this was going to happen. You both understand what's going to happen and you kind of nurture that scene in a way that they feel comfortable doing it. And being Mm -hmm. an actor as well is definitely handy when you feel comfortable in the space because then when you're comfortable, you're definitely more open to do things so of course that's something that i i yeah making sure it's a safe environment
0: i i love this point of like when you feel safe and comfortable you're more open to do things mm-hmm. i think like uh, that is a great buy-in to get more people into like who are resistant to intimacy work it's like this isn't just i mean of course it's about taking care of the actors and keeping them safe it's also about getting better work for them because i really from them Cause I really believe that like when somebody doesn't feel safe, like scientifically their brain goes into like fight or flight or freeze mode and they don't have their full instrument available to, you know, go as deep in the work or make as vulnerable choices. So that's, that's such a great point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've felt those moments as an actor in the past. So having that understanding of knowing what that feels like to me, I'm like, okay, How do we avoid that? How do we make sure that they they feel comfortable and they feel safe? Because I know what that's like. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, same. I think having like that lived experience as an actor gives you this other level of empathy that you're like, I have felt this in my body and (laughs) I want to make sure that, you know, I help other actors not not have to go there.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
2: So I want to know... I mean, I guess, Carly, we we have to let them go at some point.
0: Yeah, I have I have a good final-ish okay. question that we could okay. r- riff on. All right. Um, just, you know, um, I guess I would ask both of you just, like, what are you most passionate about in this field? Like, what just, like, inspires and excites you the most in this work? And where do you hope to see... The intimacy field going like what direction would would it be really beautiful to see it move into I know that's kind of a a two-parter you can speak to either (laughs) or both whatever whatever you know lights you up
3: I think for me like I look at where we were five six years ago like emails unanswered thank you but no thank you straight out laughing at this um like I look at where we were like five, six years ago. I remember sending out emails and getting nothing back and just how disappointing it was and how close I was to giving up so many times. I mean, I did a workshop in 2016 and I got one person. That was it. (laughs) It was like all I could get because it was just seen as such a joke. It really was. This is pre-Me Too. Um, And again, workshops on intimacy, direction, they were not cool. and so it's really exciting like seeing like what's happened in 6 years so if i look forward to the next 5 it's like okay amazing like what are the possibilities and for me like there still is a little bit of work that we have to do on set you know we have to still convince people of this um and that, that it works and that it's effective um and we spend like a lot of time and energy often like like figuring that out how can we do this how can we bring people on board um and I'm just really exciting to see like, when the, that expended energy is, is lowered because far more people are on board, um, Like, what can we do with it? And so for me, I'm like, this is really cool because I think we'll start to see far more stories that really resonate with us. And I look at like Hollywood romance, and I think for so long, everyone's been like, aha, that is the intimate life that I need. That's the intimate life that is the pinnacle. That's what I want. I want to look like what's happening on the Hollywood screens. And the problem that we've had for so long is that like that's been from one perspective. It's been (laughs) from one gaze. It's been from, you know, um, really unrealistic expectations. And I think what people are absolutely craving for is instead of like trying to reflect what Hollywood looks like, what they want to see is like real life or like real, um, like intimate relations that they know that they've had appear on screen. Like I think that's what people are really excited about. You know, like that, that was one of the massive pulls of Bridgerton, you know, bunch of women finally saw a bit of foreplay that we hadn't seen before, <laughs> like that was the focus. Yeah, you know, once. we started to see, yeah, but we started to see, you know, images of like, you know, we've got like Daphne lying on the bed, she's fully covered. And yet we've got the Duke, like, you know, completely nude, and like we haven't seen that before. like that's not the perspective that we're used to. And like that's just such a small um, part of it, and there's so much more to be explored. And I think that that's the really exciting thing that we start to see like <laughs> far more realistic relationships uh, on the screen, because I think that that's what people are craving
0: mic drop You're yes mic drop. amen <laughs> yes so, I need to have like, uh, yeah yeah right yeah David. I, you know I,
2: it's, do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's just yeah that uh, that just resonates so much like because the stories that we tell affect people's lives and expectations and i think like sex scenes that's a huge thing where it's like oh, why doesn't my sex life look like that? And switching the reframe to be like, oh, what is reality and what is authentic is actually reflected in stories. I think that will be a part of like a cultural shift towards healing around human sexuality. Like- I think it will.
3: Because even Cosmo a couple of months ago did like a double page spread on the fact that they were not going to do articles around the G-spot anymore because they didn't believe Mm -hmm. it existed. Yep. And it's just what? like, yeah, 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 you can look it up. Um, and it's, it's really it's really interesting that we're starting to see like this, you know, complete um turnabout in uh, ideas around like what does w- what do authentic human sexual relations look like? Yeah, um and not just from one perspective. So it is really cool.
0: as a sex educator, I have to say. It exists. It just doesn't feel good for everybody. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was just All really right. interesting that they even wrote the article. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Fascinating. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it really, really, um, it was such a, a, like a U-turn. And when I think about, um, we did a show recently that was like set in the 90s. And one of the things I asked people, uh, asked the actors to do was, I was like, see if you can Google, like, magazines positioned at young women in the 90s oh my and look gosh. what you're being fed. like and it was literally like you know 10 best ways to please your man five more ways mm-hmm. if that doesn't work three mm-hmm. top tips <laughs> you know like and it's just like it is from like fed from one perspective yeah so even you know like the fact that those articles are even coming out now questioning is just fascinating
0: yeah and, and it's just like the, the i feel like the uh <laughs> <laughs> the main like rom-com romance scene that we always see is like they, you know, it's there's no foreplay. They're right into it. They both have an orgasm at the same time. Nobody touches anybody's clit. It's so <laughs> unrealistic. And it creates this expectation where, you know, just people who are watching that say, What is wrong with me in my body if if mm-hmm. that is not in my mm-hmm. life? And and yeah, so I I love this intimacy to you know in storytelling to heal human sexuality
2: as a whole to change the world yes i think yes. so okay so josh what do you think where where are we headed josh from your point of view
1: from my point of view i mean i find it like incredible that there was a time where it's, it's not like it's not required for to have an intimacy coordinator i feel like it's, it should be a requirement just as you'd have like a stunt coordinator It's the same thing. And then just like diversity in the field, um, like you were saying, there's so many stories to tell and the amount or the people to tell those stories come from so many different backgrounds. So allowing that to show itself in the industry and in this particular, by all means, they always say like art imitates life. So we kind of owe it to ourselves to be able to show these realistic and honest, portrayals of what life is for everybody that watches these shows so yeah just continuing to i guess depict authentic human relationships that's what we want to see we want to see something that we can relate to and i feel like there's so much out there in the media that are like oh i don't relate to this but it's always shoved down our neck every day so i definitely feel like these intimate relationships that are going to be portrayed going forwards, it's gonna be something that's like, oh yes, I relate to that. I had that moment. And because of you can relate mm-hmm. to it, you can connect to it a lot more deeper.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I, I really hope that, that yeah. our, our field is moving in that direction too.
2: As stakeholders, you know, meaning watchers, consumers, um, I feel that it is beholden to the entertainment industry to reflect who we are since we invest our time and our money and our energy into watching um it would be great to see ourselves uh displayed in in a myriad of situations of intimacy um so that we that we feel like we're being heard and that we feel like we belong to this to this society so i appreciate that josh thank you so much thank you both yeah. thank you both I mean- for being such rock stars in this industry man <laughs> yeah
0: so happy you're out there doing the work and just so honored you you took some time to come and talk to us today of course
3: Um, we we like to
0: end oh sorry we like (laughs) to end (laughs) with we we have our new segment called shout out corner (laughs) which is just giving uh everybody a chance to shout out is there something that you're working on A class you're offering, a show you've worked on that you want to just like shout out to any of our listeners to go ahead and and check out, Um, or even your website or where folks can find you or find your
3: work. Yeah, I'm just like rifling through my (laughs) NDA (laughs) file.
2: Um, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Don't be don't be talking about no pressure,
0: no pressure. (laughs) Respect to the NDA boundaries. (laughs)
3: <laughs> no 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 we're good um I think you know we're doing um a couple of workshops um about how to get into this uh, I've got a next one on the 23rd of May so people are like huh maybe this is for me um I do like a three-hour workshop where I try and give like the good the bad and the ugly um so <laughs> because there's so much that isn't reported mm-hmm. in the media and that People love to, you know, miss out. Like spreadsheets aren't sexy, and they don't get a lot of airtime. So, (laughs) I think they're sexy. (laughs) Like, I I love to dive into like how if you don't find them sexy, like this isn't the role for you. Um, So, stuff like that. Like, I try and give a very like honest uh, perspective of what it's like to to work in the industry from from you know uh, from my experience. So the next one of those is on the 23rd of May. Um, we also have a series about uh, working with minors coming up um, that we're releasing kind of shortly. Oh, and then nice. and then we do like um, our historical work. So I have a, a, a costume designer um, who I've worked with like in the terms of intimacy from like 2016. So she's really on it and she is so brilliant about giving perspectives from a costumer to the intimacy coordinator like very specific about it, which is amazing. Um, okay. And so uh, we have like, we, yeah, we do our like Regency intimacy one, we have a medieval uh, workshop coming up and we also have a Victorian workshop coming up too. So yeah.
2: Very cool. Anything going on, Josh?
1: Yeah, so uh, unfortunately I can't talk about the shows that oh. I'm currently working on, oh, understood. <laughs> but what I will say is that if there's anyone out there listening that, is looking to become an intimacy coordinator. All of those workshops are going to help you so much. So if you have any time, just absolutely dedicate, trying to get some of these workshops done, because I, I promise you, you will learn so much. As someone who's been through them, you will learn so much and it will help you so much. And also, if you have a dream, follow it, because if you can achieve it, you can. Anyone out there that sees me, that can be you. You can do it as well.
0: Hey, Ben, I thank you for uplifting so that much. message. <laughs> How about Ooh. you, Anna? Anything you want to uh,
2: shout yeah.
3: out that
2: you're working on? Yes, yeah, so my company, Intimacy Coordinators of Color, we've got two events in May. Uh, we, well, actually, we have three uh, events in May. Ooh. The first one happens, I know, right? We have one <laughs> happening on uh, May 2nd that is going to be a round table. Uh, panel discussion called zooming in and we're going to talk to, uh, gender nonconforming, non binary trans actors, uh, professors prof- and professionals in the intimacy field about, uh, bringing, taking out the binary in intimacy choreography. Um, so that's going to be an interesting roundtable on May 2nd. Um, on May 16th, we have our second installment of the Intimacy Captain Certificate, which is a way to enable someone there to be in rehearsal, this is specifically for stage work, uh, after the intimacy professional is, has gone, who can keep an eye on the boundary check-ins, intimacy protocols, and uh, intimacy calls after the professional has gone. So that's Intimacy Captain Certificate. And then at the end of the month, we have a, a a vocal specialist coming in. Her name is Rachel Finley. She is on the board of Intimacy Coordinators of Color, and she's going to do a workshop on intimate sound craft, making intimate Ooh. sound. So, uh, so yeah, cool. we're really excited to have Rachel. Um, but yeah, you can find all those events on uh, our website, Intimacy Coordinators of Color dot com or uh, through Eventbrite, which is a ticketing service. And what about you, Carly? What you got going on, girl?
0: Oh, I have um one more filmed stage play that I did, Intimacy for with the Road, um, Reykjavik by Steve Yaki. It's like a really beautiful kind of a kaleidoscope of uh queer love and intimacy stories in that take place in Reykjavik, Iceland. Um, It's a really cool, weird, freaky, magical realism play um, (laughs) that was such a pleasure to work on. And it is, uh, you can rent it um, streaming, I think from like May 14th to May 30th. you want to check it out. It's just a really beautiful play. And it was so cool to see a successfully and safely staged live production that was filmed in the time of COVID. So shouting that out.
2: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Lizzie and Joshua from Intimacy, Choreography, and Conversation, specifically for me, I'm speaking from the eye. I have had a wonderful time talking with you both today. And I am very, very grateful that you're out there making spaces braver and safer. And I just appreciate you so much. You're both welcome to come back anytime.
0: Yes, please. It was such a delight. And yeah, I'm just so grateful for you sharing your wisdom and experience and passion with us and our listeners.
1: Oh, I've had thank a great time. So, thank you.
3: Thank you so much for having us. It's been very, very
0: cool. If you, yes, you listening right now, have any questions about intimacy choreography, direction, consulting, or just the intimacy field in general, please send them to our email, which is the letters I see, I see, dot, Anne and carly at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at the letters icic underscore Ann and Carly, where we will be posting info about upcoming episodes and other intimacy-related tidbits.
2: And as usual, we'd also like to pop, pop, pop our sound designer, editor, and otherwise extraordinary person, David Gonzalez. And pop, pop, pop to our wonderful producer, Hazel Lozano. Music by David Gonzalez. The podcast logo is by Zach Brown. Pop, pop.